Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. All right. It is my pleasure to welcome Dan Miller to the podcast. Welcome, Dan. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, James. So, Dan brought you on to talk about metrics and just to give our listeners a little bit of a background me and you did a joint presentation at the smrp case study event around metrics and there's a couple things in there that you talked about that i want to make sure we can get out to even more people Um, we're going to talk about how do we pick the right kpis all these different things but also something called a cornerstone kpi which i really want to talk about because i think a lot of people miss it all right good now before we dive into that so you are a maintenance and reliability engineer with Global Water Resources. You're going through your uh, history. You've spent a lot of time in maintenance and reliability and different levels, different roles, different companies, all those different things. Although super brief, what else do you want to tell us about yourself? Um, I, I think that's good. Uh, a lot of different experiences. I, I did the consulting role for a while. I uh, had a lot of uh, you know, great experiences there, met a lot of great people. Um, but uh, I've kind of settled in at uh, this uh, local water utility company. Um, have had some friends here for a long time. Uh, you know, I touched base with them when I was back in town from a consulting uh, uh, project or something and share some of the ideas with them. And then one day I was talking to them and they said, why don't you do that here? So, um, so I'm at Global Water Resources. Uh, it's a, uh, a publicly traded, privately held uh, water utility company, water, wastewater um, we have about uh, 15 different utilities that we uh, own and manage, and um, uh, our assets are spread out all across uh, Arizona. And uh, they, we uh, we kind of work on some of the stuff or utilize some of the stuff that I've learned uh, over the last uh, 30 plus years to um, to help uh, preserve those assets and uh, and make sure that uh, they uh, they don't um, they don't fail in the middle of the night when. Uh, um, you know, when it's the worst time for, uh, for something to go wrong. So, um, that's kind of, yeah, absolutely. And I imagine there's quite a bit of pressure when your assets are not performing as well as they should. Hence why you need metrics to make sure your processes and assets are working correctly. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, power, electricity and water. People take that for granted sometimes. And, uh, you know, you turn your faucet on, you expect water. If it's not, you know, something major is happening. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of pressure to uh, make sure that uh, water works when it's supposed to and that it's a high quality. So uh, a lot going on uh, back in the background that people are just not aware of. So you guys utilize a lot of different performance management techniques, correct? Metrics, KPIs, sometimes depending on who you're talking to, those are the same things. Um, But what is performance management really? Um, Well, I think it's really about maintaining the system by which you measure your performance, uh, not just reporting KPIs, but uh, setting targets, looking for trends and patterns, and maybe coming up with ways to address shortfalls, uh, you know, on a regular routine basis. All right. Excellent. Now, why is that important? It sounds like a bunch of administrative work to a lot of people. Why do we got to do it? 
And, you know, if you keep it at that level, uh, if just your audience is the boss and his boss, then, then yeah, it, it is administrative and there's no real value to it. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you can't project it out to the, the folks that are involved in the process, I think you really run into some, some issues. It's, it's really about managing the health of the processes. You know, for uh, any processes to continue performing well, there needs to be a constant watch over the manner in which the met- metrics are extracted. That's kind of my job. It's not uh, our, our field tech's job to, uh, to really go after the metrics. I need to be providing them so it's easy for them to get. But uh, conditions change, you know, technology changes, people are promoted, uh, there's new ideas and perspectives that are brought into the mix. Uh, I remember at a certain beverage company, uh, we, we had finally put uh, CO2 monitors in line with our carbonator. And before that, we were taking samples and analyzing them in the lab. Initially, there was enormous concern because uh, inline CO2 mo- uh, monitors um, the, the readings were all over the place. We didn't really fully understand the system as we thought we had. And the quality folks wanted to shut down the o- and overhaul the equipment. And I understand their concerns because I was looking at the data in the same way. But, but the behavior of the carbonator was, had not changed. We had not done anything with it. Uh, you know. so, so I felt like maybe we were looking at it from a, from a uh, more microscopic uh, perspective uh, with these uh, monitors. So... Um, we went from uh, seeing a snapshot every 15 minutes with the lab samples to basically a full motion video with those uh, inline monitors that showed the process second by second. Uh, you know, it's kind of like having a picture of a layup shot in a basketball, you know, frozen in, in time. Um, but uh, what we were comparing it to is this, uh, this new inline monitoring system uh, where you're watching like a slow motion replay of how the ball was passed, how the defense was set up, and the attempt to block the trajectory of the, the ball as it rolled around the hoop for the score. The results are the same, but getting there uh, and trending the progress explains how better to repeat the process over and over again. And that's really what we were after. So, you know, we did find some issues. Uh, we were able to uh, to know, uh, narrow the curve of, uh, of changes within, um, within the carbonator. Uh, so that helped us a lot. Things that we had not seen before. So I think you got to take that into account when you're when you're looking at uh, the performance management. All right, excellent. Now a key part of performance management is a metric. All right. Now what is a metric? Uh, that's that's a good question. I, I think it's probably different a different term, or we don't have a a common. Uh, um, definition for that. But to me, a metric is a numerical value assigned to the actual performance of a process. Um, I mean, there's more to it than that. You and I have both been involved in some pretty complex uh, KPI systems. Uh, But a single metric by itself won't tell you a whole lot. You kind of kind of have to couple it with uh, several metrics to give you a a very broad uh, perspective uh, viewpoints of of what's really happening with the process that you're monitoring. And uh, I think the they all need to be uh, carefully developed. They need to be scrutinized and challenged before it can be a real reliable of, of uh, any indication of performance. All right. Excellent. So as an example, schedule compliance is a metric. Right. But like you said, just looking at schedule compliance doesn't tell us the health of our work management system. Correct. We need a lot more than that. We need to know our backlog, PM compliance, percentage plan time, those other pieces to actually give us a good, well-rounded vision of what's actually occurring. Couldn't agree more. All right. So what have you learned over your career with metrics? I'm sure there's certain things you've learned just like I have learned, whether accidentally or, you know, someone's like, hey, don't do that. This is why. Um, what have you learned over your career with metrics? Well, there's a lot of stories I could tell you. Um, 
probably uh, not in a podcast, uh, you know, but um, I think one one that comes to mind that I'd like to share with you, and I may have uh, touched on this, uh, you know, in some of our other conversations, but uh, I think the metrics help you tell the boss a story that he or she may understand, you know, in uh, numbers, uh, the value add, financial impact, stuff like that. Um, I once had a, this is a while back, but I had uh, trouble with a bull gill on a filler at a, at a, a beverage facility. Uh, the teeth were worn out, and every time we had a line stop, there was so much backlash that we would have a crash and destroy product. Anybody who's been in the, you know, the beverage or production industry, I think, can relate to that. Um, but I got pricing for a new bull gear. It was $40,000. When I told the boss, after he got back out, uh, out of, uh, uh, into his chair, um, he said, we really couldn't afford a, uh, an expense like that. And I thought, why, why can't we afford to buy it? But, you know, I didn't have the proof at the time, James. So I studied my KPIs. I watched the line, um, did that for a bit. In the meantime, though, I borrowed an idea from my mom um, that, that she had used to raise money for me when I was in grade school. So I go on field trips. Um, I came up with the idea to have a bake sale and I'd get the money for that bull gear. So the next Friday, I brought in brownies, cupcakes, cinnamon rolls, donuts, and laid uh, into the shop, and I laid them all out. Uh, they were selling pretty well. I'd sold about $32 worth by lunch. You know, I was on a roll, I thought. I wasn't undeterred, but I did think I might have to few, have a few more bake sales. Uh, if we were going to get that bull gear by the end of, end of the year, I, I probably even would have to throw in a car wash. But then the boss walks in. He says, Dan, what the heck are you doing with all these sweets? I told him, uh... I'm having a bake sale, sir. I want to raise money for that bull gear. Well, you know, he didn't think that was too happy, but I handed him a chocolate double fudge brownie with nuts, and I pulled out my folder with all my filler stops, crashes, restart metrics, and began going over the data. I showed him how the performance had declined over the last three months, how much expense uh, there was on raw material. I handed him another brownie. This was a long conversation. <laughs> and I showed him uh, the curve of how first aids had gone up even and uh, finished with a totals page of lost production, increased labor and overtime and uh, finished uh, finished product quality issues and the number of breakdowns at the filler. And here I said, at this rate, sir, we'll rack up over $120,000 in extra expenses to run less product. We need to get that bill gear replaced. Um, a little thoughts displeased with me holding a bake sale in the shop. Um, he pulled up the brownie. Looked at it, looked at me, and he said, well, this is the best $40,000 brownie I've ever had. And that's the story of the $40,000 brownie. <laughs> so a couple of important points that I want to make. Um, I didn't know he was coming in the shop. I had prepared to talk to him later. Um, but, you know, I was just trying to get some momentum and, and get them to understand, get, get my, my guys to understand the importance of uh, keeping an eye on the, on the equipment and how we'd have to nurse it until we did get one. So that, that was really in the initial emphasis. Um, but because I knew what kind of baked goods he liked, I had done a little bit of homework there, and I knew he needed to tell his boss why he needed to spend the, 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 the $40,000 in terms that, that they could understand, um, I, I took the opportunity, and I went through uh, what I had been practicing so that, uh, with him at that moment. And it was nice to have the, the brownies as kind of an example. But uh, the lesson I learned is that you have to speak the language the boss understands, which is uh, normally in numbers. 
uh, before you can improve any performance. And you have to take advantage of any, any moment uh, given to you to sell your solution. So I kind of had him as a captive audience while he was eating. Um, I've had other bake sales and other things like that to kind of uh, increase the awareness, but never sold another $40,000 uh, brownie since then. Well, if you're selling $40,000 brownies, I need to get that recipe. It's good too. (laughs) So with that being said, are there any metrics now, you know, based on that story, some of the other learnings that you've had over your career that you would consider a requirement for everyone? Going back to that cornerstone KPI, are there things like that that you've come to learn over time that no matter what you measure, you got to measure this first or get this right first? Yeah, um, that's that's a very good question, and uh, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit more. We covered it uh, somewhat in the in the case study, but um, you know, I had a had a dedicated uh, instrument tech um, who filled out his work orders and log time each each task he took. You know, it justify the weekend work and chalk up a good bit of overtime. Uh, we had very few issues with instruments. Calibrations were on time, and there was little downtime as a result. Um, but other line breakdowns like bad bearings, ripped conveyors, uh, things like that weren't recorded at all. They just, they just got fixed. Uh, we weren't getting any better with, with downtime overall. So I started to compare the work orders to actual paid hours. My instrument tech recorded all of his hours, even the weekend overtime stuff, but few others did. We were addressing the squeaky wheel issues rather than the real issues in front of us. I think the most important KPI is what I call labor utilization. Um, it's comparing those, uh, those hours that you pay out to the hours that are recorded in the work orders. Where's the work going? Uh, we track it here week to week. Um, I think that needs to be a requirement. It's a simple comparison of how long uh, maintenance techs works from the payroll to how many hours they logged on a work order for the same time period. Uh, tech works for 40 hours, let's say, for an example, but only lo- uh, logs 30 of the, those hours. What happened to the other 10 hours? What did she fix? Um, whatever it could be, could be the single most critical event of the week. I'll, and if all the others are uh, neglected, anybody else working on it neglected to record those 10 hours, you could be actually hiding uh, something major going on in the, in the plant. Um, how are we going to know what happened? So in this example, the labor utilization would be 75%. So it's 30 hours recorded for 40 hours paid out. Okay. Now, what happens if we don't have these cornerstone metrics in place? For example, you know, we're catching 30 out of the 40 hours for one person, others who might only be capturing 50%. You know, if we don't have those cornerstones in place and they're not good, what happens? Um, another good question, James. Um, I think the labor percentage, to, to me, it tells me how, how accurate my uh, work order reporting is. It tells you how accurate all your other KPIs are, for example. Um, we are, let's say we take a mean time to repair, uh, you know, of course, which is the time it takes to return a failed asset back to service. Uh, we are using all the work orders for the week or month to determine the average MTTR, typically for a given asset class. If all of the available recordable hours a uh, tech is working isn't included in this work ordered asset, um, that is it. Then the MTTR will be skewed. Uh, giving an example, this past October, our MTTR here locally was 125 hours. That's, that's overall. Uh, and our label utilization was at a 71%. So the corrected MTTR becomes 176 hours. That's basically taking the MTTR 125 divided by the labor utilization at 0.71, give you the 126. So anyway, it's a, it's a 50-hour difference. Um, and that has an impact on scheduling, total cost ownership, demand versus overall maintenance, and a lot of other KPIs. Put simply, 
if you're not comparing your labor hours with uh, hours logged into your work orders, you're probably missing a great deal of information about how healthy um, your processes actually are. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with you. If we're only capturing, say, 50% of the time, where is that other 50 time, 50% of the time spent? Is it on PMs? Is it on correctives? Is it breakdowns, emergencies? You know, we don't know what we're actually spending our time on, so we don't know where to focus. What do we got to do to drive those performance improvements to our organization? Right. And, uh, you know, the, the planner, if, you have a, if you're fortunate enough to have a planner scheduler, they're looking at uh, past um, – work orders to say when we had that issue that bearing broke or uh, you know went, went bad it took us 10 hours to replace it um, if all those hours aren't uh, included that's how they'll book it and if it takes 20 hours you're going to have a hard time explaining to the operations manager why it took double the time so um, it, it really uh, really puts you out in front of uh, what you're uh, understanding the health of the the processes that you're responsible for now we have that cornerstone KPI in place, labor utilization as an example. Have you seen that drive not just to good behaviors like actually recording your time and work orders, but also potentially adverse or um, undesired behaviors? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think so. But, uh, you know, talking about good and bad behaviors, I, I want to put my uh, – uh, safety cap on and, and talk a bit about that. I think most every industrial organization publishes their, their lost time accident uh, on a daily basis. You know, the sign out in front that says a uh, day since last recordable incident or a description, something like that. Uh, the good behavior is that people are undoubtedly motivated to be safe and uh, call out unsafe actions around them. I truly believe this is the overriding behavior. But unfortunately, some organizations uh, place it into their bonus structures and pay raises, uh, like performance reviews. And groups that have a large number of days, months, or years since last recordable have a he hesitancy to report anything. No one wants to be the person that causes a team to get reset back to zero. I'm not at all opposed to performance-based incentives, but I do think that a single KPI, as we talked about before, should not be the only measure. I think monitoring your misses, tracking hours and individual or departments involved in the safety committee, uh, uh, coming up with some uh, participating you know, safety campaigns, um, things like that are really the ultimate goal of keeping everyone safe. So if someone does get hurt, there isn't an issue with reporting it. It may expose a very bad situation. It could easily uh, be fixed before the next person gets hurt. So, so really it's the emphasis that the organization puts on a single KPI and meeting it that could cause a, a bad behavior, in this case, uh, masking or neglecting a, what could be a major safety issue. All right. Excellent. So it can drive those different behaviors, which is one reason why we don't want a single KPI. We want multiple KPIs looking at that to make sure we're promoting the right behaviors, the right activities, that sort of thing. Exactly. Now, as we decide what KPIs we have, we got our cornerstone KPIs. We're talking about the, you know, kind of the balancing KPIs. Do they have to be within a certain sphere of influence? And if so, how do we determine who's really within that sphere of influence? Um. No, no, I don't think so entirely. But I do think it's important for everybody to know to what degree they do influence a particular KPI. Uh, 
Uh, I got another another story for you. Let's take a out of stock KPI for example. Some time ago, I was responsible for reserve, uh, refurbishing the electrical system at a uh, power facility. We were out of stock on several items, uh, and my part of the critical path was sliding. Uh, the logistics manager had a lot of items he was tracking, all the parts and uh, you know when the contractors are coming in, that kind of thing. Um, my parts list, though, took a lesser priority. So I started printing out my out-of-stock out of report on hot pink paper. So every time I came to the meeting, uh, people would say, Dan, what's the hot pink uh, paper for? I said, this is my hot list, my hot parts list. Um, when our, and any time our timeline was challenged, I'd say, you know, we're 30, 30 days behind, but the parts on my hot parts list um, are due to be delivered in two weeks, let's say. Um, and when they arrive, I'll be back on schedule. Now, put up with uh, – uh, I'll have us up and running before the, the new deadline is what I told them. Uh, we had gotten so good at tracking parts uh, that eventually the logistics manager would see me before the meeting, look at my hot sheet, my hot parts sheet, uh, and get a status report before he started talking about the other things going on. In fact, uh, he asked one time if we could light a fire for other suppliers he was having that were dragging their feet for the other projects. We couldn't control the entire out-of-stock KPI, but we could influence the portion that involved us. All right. Excellent. So we're monitoring these things to influence, to also report as well as really, you know, drive that change in process, behaviors, those sorts of things. Now, we're doing all these different things. We've got our right metrics. We're, we're using them to influence, make decisions, that sort of thing. What do you believe is the most important outcome from a performance management system? Oh, um, James, I got to say trust. Um the KPI deck has to be trustworthy. If, if people in the organization don't believe what's being reported, the results will be ignored. Challenges to the formulas or data sources behind a simple number uh, should be embraced. If no one understands how the KPI is developed, they are likely to come up with their own way of reporting it. The person or team uh, who's responsible for reporting KPIs, I think they need to scrutinize the reports um, prior to being published. I uh, I got caught on this once. Uh, I had uh, I'd reported past due PMs for August one year, but had added July by mistake. One of my supervisors called me out. At good thing he was paying attention. Um, so the performance management process needs uh, tending to constantly. There are simple formula mistakes like I made, but there are also changes in the process being monitored that may obsolete or insert inaccuracies. You add a add a photo eye a further upstream on a conveyor, or uh, or you change the uh, programming for uh, how a packer operates. Uh, that can impact how those uh, KPIs are reported. Um, and I always do the gut check. If it doesn't look right, it's probably not right, and then pursue any anomalies that come up. All right. Yeah, I agree. Trust is critical, whether it's the data source, um, consistent use of formulas, you know, all those different things is vital. Um, I think the other thing with trust there is having realistic expectations of what what we're at and where we're going to get to by what time. That's a huge component of the trust, I think, too. If we give unrealistic timelines for certain performance measures, that trust of that whole process is gone. Right. So so what we do is uh, we, we start monitoring a KPI, we're say we're going to come out with something, uh, uh, let's see, age report, let's say. We just started that KPI here recently because we have a lot of, a lot of um, backlog. We're trying to track uh, what we need to address and basically what's the, you know, what's the um, tempo of things going on now and then uh, how things get, get delayed or uh, something more important gets put in front of it. So uh, we're just monitoring that right now and uh, telling them, you know, what's at 30 days, what's at 60 days, what's at 90. But, and so, 
the only goal we really have now is that 50% of the work orders are in that uh, 120 day or less. So it's, it's a pretty broad range, easy target to make. But our initial goal is to make sure that we get, you know, you know, 30 or more percent of our work orders in that uh, 30 day range and, uh, you know, uh, 50% within the 60 day range, having nothing that's 120 days um, or older. Um, so I think what that does to me and, and to the folks that are, that are involved in the process is they're, they're not apprehensive about meeting a target. They know if they're seeing it, they're, they're meeting a target, and it gives them time to understand what it's about and how they can influence it until we start saying, okay, starting, in, uh, starting December 1st, uh, we're going to be at um, no more than 30% over 30 days. And, and they're, they're more uh, understanding of how we got there to that mark. All right, excellent. Now, Dan, we've talked about a bunch of different topics and metrics. What is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today around metrics? Um, well, I, I think we mentioned earlier, James, uh, that you've seen a lot of different KPIs and organizations as have I. Um, so every KPI deck is different. It's going to tell a different story. It needs to tell the story of you know the, the, the local uh, company, organization, uh, or site facility. Um, so I think the most important thing is to re- review the KPI deck that you have and make sure you're recording all of the meaningful work. Make sure your metrics are as accurate as possible, um, they're accessible, and they are trusted. If you see a KPI is no longer providing value, don't be afraid to ditch it. You know, go a different route. Um, Speaking of help, I believe it's important to seek uh, professional assistance uh, in building a KPI deck or overhauling an existing one um, if it's needed. Sometimes we get caught up in the process, we don't realize it could be telling us something entirely different than what we are measuring. And one variable and one formula for one KPI can mess up reporting results all across the board. All right. Excellent. Definitely some words of wisdom there. Um, Learned some the hard way, some the easy way, I'm guessing. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Dan, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about this. But before we go, where can people find out more about you? That type of thing. All right. Um, That's a good question. I I mean, I'm I'm not doing a lot of consulting now. Um, um, I'm really, uh, you know, working on uh, the, the current project in front of me. But uh, I try to keep my link page, LinkedIn page up to date. I'm always happy to, to help people if they, if they reach out. Um, trying to improve asset performance here at Global Water Resources, like, uh, like building KPIs. But I am a member of the Board of Governors for Central Arizona College. You know, we measure outcomes affecting our uh, student and their education. So um, I touch with the KPIs there. I'm also an active uh, member of uh, SMRP. We're, uh, I'm working with a part of a uh, in a group that's part of a great um, uh, that we're putting together a curriculum for uh, manufacturing process reliability. A lot of great SMEs in there. Um, that's one body of knowledge for the uh, in the pillars that uh, that they have. I've also attended uh, technical symposiums and conferences, so you know we might meet up there sometime. Been fortunate to have uh, presented a few of those. One with you, so uh, like that. Uh, I'm also a drone pilot. I love flying them to assess the health of our assets or just to film cool things like fireworks or, or waterfalls. I think, you know, uh, the thing, another thing to know about me is that I, I am trying new technology. Uh, the, the, the flying the drone is helping us find, um, uh, you know, leaks a little easier in some of these rural areas of Arizona that we're in. Um, so it comes in handy, but it's also a fun thing to do. Anyway, embrace new technology and see how you can apply them. All right. Excellent. Now, one last question, one of my favorites. What are your go-to resources that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, 
Good, good question, James. Um, another one. I think it's important to be part of a professional group like SMRP, uh, AMP, or Reliability Web, uh, and to seek certifications and enhance your knowledge about maintenance and reliability. I think to be challenged in the area or the realm that you're in um, and to be able to convey uh, new information that you might have or acquire it and then reapply it, I think those are those are really uh, critical parts of, of the, the line of work that we're in. Um, all these groups have uh, libraries that are full of case studies, technical data, a lot of experts that you can uh, reach out to. Um, they even have vendors and trade groups, so if they're trying something new, some new technology, you can get a demo set up. Uh, I'd say utilize those uh, resources. I subscribe to a lot of newsletters, too, uh, and I do listen to the podcasts like this. I think it's important to stay up with the, the um, up-to-date with the latest uh, technologies, uh, trends, etc. And it's also, like I said, fun to adapt technology to solve chronic issues. Um, I think it's, you know, it's important we, uh, we have, uh, we're monitoring pressure now and our old pressure monitors were kind of like the carbon air I was talking about. They would measure, uh, every second. Well, uh, to get, to look at a pressure transient that could cause a pipe to break is in, uh, in the milliseconds or picoseconds. So we're starting to, um, evaluate some of those rapid response, um, uh, monitoring systems and then later apply it to our PLC that will actually, uh, revalve or vent, uh, uh, um, pressure disturbances um, really the second before they start influence or, or trying to, to break the pipe. So um, I think that's that's the biggest thing is, is always keep your uh, eyes and ears open. Uh, always be a lifeline learner and, and look for others like you that, that are, are trying to, to make the systems and the processes that they're involved in much, much better for the, the, for the groups that they're working with. All right. Well, excellent, Dan. I definitely appreciate it. A bunch of those resources that you mentioned, I'll be linking in the show notes. People can easily find them. They can just click on them and go that way. I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to us about metrics. Truly appreciate it and uh, getting some insights on these metrics and also how we can use bake sales to uh, convince bosses to do things. That's right. I'll share. I'll be happy to share the recipe. All right. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you, James. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, keep up the good work. I think uh, I think this is a great way to uh, to share information across all of the all of our uh, industry, and uh, I definitely appreciate uh, working with you on this and, and other projects. So, uh, thank you again, James. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.